Go ahead and take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to the fifth chapter of First Peter. We're going to eventually, not right at this moment, but eventually read one verse there. And then we will be going over to the sixth chapter of the book of Ephesians and reading a verse there. But I want to start out by telling you this morning that you are being watched. You're being stalked. There's someone who is watching your every move. He observes everything you do. He hears every conversation you have. And he knows every thought that you share. When you go to work, you go to school, in your recreation, he's watching. He's listening. He's making notes of how he might best attack you. When you go into your house, he follows you inside. He watches you as you interact with your family. He knows what upsets you. And he knows how to tempt you. He followed you to church this morning. He's sitting in the pew beside you. And he does his best to talk to you, to distract you when the Word of God is being presented. Amen. He'll put conflicting thoughts into your head while the Word of God is being preached. He'll try to get into your mind when you study the Bible or when you try to spend time in prayer. He'll offer interruptions like doorbells, telephone calls. In church, he'll offer cell phones and text messages and things like that to get your mind off of the Word of God and He does His best to make you question the veracity, the reality, the truthfulness of God and His Word. Who is this stalker? We know him by several different names. Abaddon, Apollyon, Beelzebub, but we know him best by the name Lucifer or Satan. That's who he is. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Before we get deeply into this message this morning, we need to realize the reality of the devil, the reality of Satan. He is a real person. Satan is not some creature that preachers and parents and people like that made up just to scare folks into being good. Satan is a fierce enemy of God. He hates God, and he hates God's people, and he hates the Lord's churches. He is full of hate. He hates the Word of God, but the Word of God tells us that he is the adversary, and he is the accuser of the brethren. We need to look at the person of Satan. Who is he? His name was Lucifer. He was an archangel. God created him. God created him and put him over the material realm. Apparently, he was a very beautiful creature. 
Ezekiel 28.13 says of him, Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis, topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle and gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes. He's a very musical, beautiful sounding creature. The workmanship of thy tabrets and thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. And I said he was over the material realm and over apparently the angels of this material realm. But look at his pride. He had pride in him. In fact, in Isaiah 14, he's reported to have said this, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. He said, I'll be equal with God. Can you imagine the creation thinking it can be equal with the Creator? God said in Ezekiel 28, Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee, and that iniquity was his pride. By the way, what does the Bible tell us about pride? It goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit goes before a fall. And we know that Lucifer, that Satan, was cast out of heaven, that he fell. But he also has a plan, folks. Satan has a plan. And he is willing to use every method possible to accomplish and to work out his plan. He will use me. He will use you. He will use anybody he can to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. That's why we're warned in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 beginning in verse 10. The apostle Paul writing to this church of Corinth said to this. And this is one of his devices that he uses. Talking about forgiveness, to whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave it, I in the person of Christ, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. That word devices talks about his plan, his project, that which is thought out. And so Satan has a very crafty plan, and sometimes that is unforgiveness that he uses to corrupt God's people. This message is intended to warn us of the deceit and the dangers of the devil. Remember, we are not to be ignorant of his devices. We need to know how he operates. We need to know how he works. He is stalking us, remember. He's watching. I believe he's here, or one of his demons is here this morning. Amen. I told you this Wednesday night, and I don't often say this, talk about this, but I believe because of preparing this message, I have been personally attack this week. He doesn't want it delivered. He doesn't want you to know how he works. But we're going to look at Satan and we're going to look at some of his devices that he uses to ruin the lives and the testimony of believers, to destroy the souls of the lost, and to damage the Lord's churches. And the first thing he uses is discouragement. Discouragement. Someone sent me to this and I shared it with you on the screen. The devil has two master tricks. One is to get us discouraged. Then for a time at least, we can be of no service to others and so are defeated. The other is to make us doubt, thus breaking the faith link by which we are bound to our Father. Look out, do not be tricked either way. Listen, everybody gets discouraged now and then, right? We all face, it's just part of our human frailty, our human being that we get discouraged every once in a while. In fact, one of the biggest problems your pastor faces many times is discouragement. You know, 
I don't know if you know this about preachers, but we like to see full pews. You know? We like to see people under the word of God. We like to see people committing their lives to Christ or coming to know Jesus Christ as Savior. And when people just stay away, it is sort of discouraging, okay? Lack of attendance, you know, or here's one, and, and I'm not asking, I would never ask for anybody to walk this aisle if the Holy Spirit was not convicting you to do so, okay? But I tell you what, when you preach your heart out, and preach the Word of God, and people sit stone-faced looking at you like, what do you expect me to do about it? Folks, it's discouraging. As I said, everybody becomes discouraged now and then, but Satan seeks to discourage us in our walk. Satan seeks to discourage us in our witness. Satan seeks to discourage us in our worship of God. But just remember this, when you're discouraged, you're in some real good company. Just think about all of those folks in the Word of God who got discouraged. Not long ago, I preached a series of messages about Elijah. I even prayed, Lord, make me like Elijah. I want to be Elijah in this day. But remember Elijah, after he had defeated the prophets of Baal and Jezebel said, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to make you like one of them. And Elijah got discouraged. He ran out in the wilderness and got out there and sat down under a juniper tree. And he said, Lord, just take my, I don't want her to kill me. This evil queen, I don't want her to take my life. So Lord, you just take my life. And he got so discouraged. He got so down, he wanted to die. Here's another one. Jeremiah. We love the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a great prophet of God, but he was discouraged by disobedience. You remember, I think it's about the 42nd chapter of the book of Jeremiah. The people said to Jeremiah, remember the Babylonians are coming, they're going to take the land. And so the people asked Jeremiah, should we go down into Egypt or should we stay here? They said, we want you to tell us what God's will is. Jeremiah said, you wouldn't listen if I told you. They said, oh, no, 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 we'll listen. We'll do whatever you say to do. So Jeremiah spends some time in prayer talking to the Lord and he comes back and he says, here's what God said to do. You stay here. And the people said, you're lying. God didn't say that. Sounds like a lot of church folks sometimes, doesn't it? When the word of God is preached and people don't want to do what the word of God says. And so Jeremiah became discouraged even to the point that in the 20th chapter of Jeremiah, the 7th through the 9th verses, you know what he said? He said, I quit. I quit. It doesn't do any good. I'm not going to preach in God's name anymore. God deceived me thinking that people would follow his word if I preached it. And so I just quit. And then he said, and I'm glad he did, his word was like a fire in my bones. And I couldn't quit. See, when God calls a man, he can't quit. He dare not quit. And so Jeremiah, though he got discouraged, and I wonder how many people, how many preachers have quit the ministry because they just got so discouraged and they said, I give up. I mean, there have been times I've prayed, Lord, if you would just give me a job, I'd quit this. Well, God hadn't given me a job, so guess what? I think he still wants me to do what I'm doing. But how many church members also, folks, have just become discouraged? And they said, That's, I can't do this anymore. I can't go on. And they just quit because of discouragement. Thomas, remember doubting Thomas? And others became discouraged. There was one incident in the life of Thomas. Jesus was going down to Bethany. Lazarus was sick, was going to die. Jesus was going to go raise him from the dead. And Jesus was determined to go to Bethany. 
And Thomas says, but the Jews are waiting down there, Lord, and they want to kill you. Nevertheless, Jesus was going to go to Bethany. You know what Thomas said? said to the rest of the apostles, he said, well, let's go with him and we'll die also. He just got discouraged. And Thomas was ready to quit. He was ready to give up. You read the Psalms. David got discouraged. At one point, there's a psalm, he says, I feel like a sparrow on a rooftop. A single sparrow. You know, there could be a lot of sparrows on a rooftop, but he said, I feel like a single sparrow on a rooftop. I feel like an owl out in the desert. He just felt all alone. He felt discouraged. He felt defeated. Think about Job. He faced trials. He faced afflictions in their times. You read the book of Job. Job sounded like he was ready to check it in. He was ready to give up. He was discouraged. Discouragement is a very real tool. It is a tool that Satan uses against God's people. And when he does it, he causes us to be of little use to God when we get discouraged. He causes us sometimes to just quit serving God altogether. Don't let the devil discourage you, child of God. Sometimes he causes us to be of no service and no encouragement to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And folks, if ever we as God's people needed encouragement from one another, it is now. We need the encouragement of God's people of one another, but Satan would discourage us and cause us not to be there to encourage each other. Jesus, even though he warned of opposition, he's warned us. He said, if they hated me, they'll hate you. If they hate the master, they're going to hate the servant. And so he's warned us of it. And even though he's warned us of it, when we get out in the world and we get opposition to what we believe, to what we teach, to what we practice, we become discouraged Here's what we need. We need the instruction, and we need to follow the instruction of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. And you know what it says there? It says, comfort the feeble-minded. Now what that literally says is, encourage the discouraged. You're looking for something to do as a child of God, and, and, and you're up, okay? You're not down, you're up. You're looking for something to do as a child of God. Find a brother or sister in Christ that's discouraged and encourage them. Pray for them. Share God's word with them. Just help build them up. Don't let Satan catch you in his trap of discouragement. It is there today. It's available today. And it is waiting for me and for you. Here's something else Satan uses. He uses doubt. Doubt. In the very beginning... In the garden of God, we know it is Eden. Satan caused Eve to doubt God's instructions. What had God told Adam about a certain tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? He said, don't eat of it. Don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And here comes Satan and he approaches Eve and he says, Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. You know what he's doing? He's questioning the authority of God's command. Did God really say that? Is that really what God wants you to do or, or wants you to avoid? And then he says, basically, you're not going to die. I don't believe what God said. You are not going to die if you eat of that fruit. And then he tells Eve this lie. 
Verse 5. For God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as God's knowing good and evil. He said, look, God doesn't want any competition. He doesn't want you to know anything. And so God wants to keep you ignorant. God is a celestial killjoy. And God just doesn't want you eating that tree because he doesn't want any competition with him. What is the end result of Eve's doubt that Satan created? She ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She gave it to her husband. He ate. And for that reason, all of mankind, Adam acting as the federal head of this race, plunged all of mankind into sin. There are others that doubted the word of God. Remember Genesis 18? God promised Sarah and God promised Abraham that Sarah would have a son by Abraham and she didn't believe him. She doubted him. She said to Abraham, here's how we need to have a child. You go to my handmaiden, Hagar. You have a child by her. That's what God really meant. We're too old to have children. I'm too old to bear a child. So you just go to Hagar. And folks, that's the reason we have the mess that we have in the Middle East today. 1 Samuel chapter 13, God told King Saul, go to the Amalekites, wipe them out, kill their animals, kill the king, kill them, don't even let the dogs live, just go kill the Amalekites. What did Saul do? Well, you know, God didn't mean that. He meant for me to save King Agag alive and the best of the flocks alive and all of that. And he not only did that, he usurped the authority of the priest's office and he paid greatly for it. His family was disqualified from the kingship of Israel. Acts chapter 24 verses 24 and 25. Paul is standing before Felix and Paul gives a great witness and a great testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember what happened with Felix? Felix trembled at the testimony and the witness of Paul the Apostle but Felix rejected Christ, and folks, he's in hell today for rejecting Jesus Christ as Savior. In Acts 26, verses 13 through 28, Paul does the same thing with King Agrippa. He witnesses to King Agrippa, and so much so, and he's so convicted that Agrippa says to Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost. Almost, but lost. And King Agrippa died without Jesus Christ as Savior. Doubt will cause us to question God's faithfulness. We come to a time of trial. We come to a time of difficulty and we might be tempted to doubt the faithfulness of God in our own lives when Jesus has, is quoted as saying in Hebrews chapter 13, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but you just think about this. Has there ever been a time that you sort of felt like, Lord, where'd you go? Lord, why'd you leave me? I tell you what, as you feel that way, God didn't leave you, you left him. Amen. Doubt. Doubt can affect our obedience. Not trusting God's word, not believing what God says can cause disobedience in our life. And then disobedience breaks our fellowship with the Lord. And we just get farther and farther away from God. Doubt can cause a child of God to be filled with anxiety. Even though over and over in the sixth chapter of Matthew, Jesus says, take no thought. Be not filled with anxiety. Don't worry about things, child of God. Listen, worry rules out prayer, but prayer will rule out worry if you'll trust God. Amen. 
How many times do we, and I'm not asking for our hands raised again, but how many times do we pray about something and then doubt whether God's going to answer that prayer or not? Doubt gets us out of fellowship with God, makes us disobedient, and it is one of the most powerful and most damaging tools that Satan has. But see, he has been stalking us, and he knows who he can attack with doubt. And he knows who he can attack with discouragement. And here's the third one. He knows who can, he can attack with deceit. Deceit. That's probably his greatest tool. The one he uses the most. First of all, through deceit, Satan makes sin look attractive. I mean, just think of how that, you know, I've heard all kinds of fruit that the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is supposed to be. I don't know what it was. But you know what? God's word says about the fruit of that tree over in the third chapter of Genesis when Eve is looking at it. So just imagine it in your own mind. She looked at it and here's what she saw. The woman saw that the tree was good for food. I'm hungry anyway. Boy, that looks like it'd be something good to eat. And that it was pleasant to the eyes. It must have been pretty. You say, what did it look like? I don't know. Some people have said it was the apple. Well, have you ever looked at a nice, big, red, delicious apple when you're wanting something good and sweet to eat? And then it says, it was a tree to be desired to make one wise. You know what that appeals to? That appeals to pride. Oh, if I could eat this. Just think of how wise I would be. Just think of... I don't guess there are any other people around to praise her, but just think of how wise I would be and how wise Adam might think I was, you know? She wanted to eat off that tree. So it makes sin look attractive. And sometimes it seems so attractive that even God's people can't resist it. We're living in a day when sin is paraded before us everywhere we turn. On the television, in the movies, in what's called music today. Some of it's not. But in all of these areas, sin is paraded before us. And sin is made to look attractive. And things like abortion and perversion. And what I call the big four of the book of Revelation. If you just read the Revelation, I think it's the ninth chapter. There's four sins that are named right there that are the sins of the last days. And see if this doesn't sound familiar. Fornication, thefts, sorceries, and that sorceries means to enchant with drugs, so guess what it is? It's from the word pharmakeia, from which we get pharmacy, so it's drug use and abuse and murders. Those are the big four of the last days. Those are the big four that are named in the book of Revelation. Satan deceives poor lost souls into thinking the best thing that they can have. You know, it doesn't get any better than this, the ad says. And this life is all there is. And so you only go around once in this life. And so you got to grab for everything that you can. And so he makes that look attractive. And in doing that, he hides the gospel of Jesus Christ from people. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says in verse 3, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Listen, and especially for our young people, listen to this, get this. Satan makes big promises, but he pays off in counterfeit money. Do I need to repeat that? 
He pays off in counterfeit money. He may offer power, but you know what it is? It's servitude. It's being a servant, a slave to him. Or you become a slave to alcohol. Or you become a slave to some other drug. Remember, alcohol is just a drug. Maybe you become a slave to sex. Maybe you become a slave to the desires of your flesh. Satan offers power, but it is servitude. He offers fleshly pleasures, but fleshly pleasures aren't lasting. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25, talking about Moses, says he chose to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. I'm not going to stand here and deny to you that sin is pleasurable. I tell you what, to the flesh it is. But it doesn't last. You know why? I'll just give you this example. You know why people, after they start out on marijuana, have to move to cocaine? Then to heroin? Because after a while, that buzz from the grass doesn't last and it wears off. You've got to go into something stronger and stronger and stronger. It's just for a season that these pleasures last. Satan seeks to stop the Word of God through deceit. He does not want the Word of God read. He does not want the Word of God taught. Listen, he'll give you something to do rather than read your Bible. Well, my favorite TV show's on right now, you know. I will wait and read the Scripture when I go to bed. You know what happens to me when I do that? I'm gone. I'm out. He doesn't want the Word of God taught. He doesn't want the Word of God, especially a message like this one preached. He does not want the Word of God believed. And Satan has made his attack upon people who have the responsibility of sharing the Word of God. Remember, in the Old Testament times, it was Israel. Satan was constantly attacking them through their enemies, through their own lusts, and through their own sin. And it caused that nation, as a nation, to reject the Son of God. In this age, it's New Testament churches. Satan attacks God's churches, attacks the Lord's churches because he knows that only scriptural New Testament churches have the commission from Jesus Christ to make disciples, to preach the gospel, to baptize those who accept Christ as Savior, and to teach them to observe all things whatsoever Christ has commanded. And I tell you what, Satan's doing a pretty good job of it today. He first sought to destroy churches from the outside through persecution. And that didn't work. We had a lesson this morning on how the Pharaoh decided that if he'd make the burden of the Israelites stronger, they wouldn't produce as many children. And what he found out was the more they worked, the more children they had. And Satan found out the more he attacked the Lord's churches, the more churches sprung up. So he said, I got to go to a different tactic. And you know what his second tactic was? He seeks to destroy from the inside. Ever heard, if you can't beat them, join them? See, he gets members to just not care and chokes out their fruitfulness as children of God. He gets other church members to doubt what is right and what is godly and what is true and to deny the word of God. He still gets others where they don't want to do anything. They don't want to go to church. They don't want to read the Bible. They don't want to pray. They don't want to witness and so he deceives them into thinking, well, I'm saved and I'm a church member. I told you I had a deacon one time tell me this. I don't know why he wanted to tell me this to my face, but he did. Well, I'm saved and all my family's saved, so now we're just going to go out and enjoy life for a while. And they quit church. But that was the attitude. And that's what the attitude so many, well, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. Why do I need to go to church? 
Now, there are reasons you need to come to church. This message is not on that, or I'd share them with you, but you need to grow as a child of God. And then he gets some of God's people to be the poorest examples of a Christian that they can be, and the world sees them, and the world says, if that's what being a Christian is, I don't want any of that. Amen. I'm doing just well enough as I am without getting that. Some of God's people look and act so miserable, Right? Now, I tell you what, if I was a lost person, there's some folks, some church members I've seen, if I was a lost person and I saw them, I'd say, well, not, you're not getting me into that, you know. That's the work of Satan. That's his deceit. It's his device to destroy the Lord's churches from the inside. But thank God, Jesus Christ said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against his churches. Satan attacks preachers. 2 Corinthians 11 tells us he has his own preachers. Some of them are standing in pulpits today using the very Bible that I've used and preaching messages that are foreign to the Word of God. Listen to what Paul said to that church at Ephesus in Acts 20. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. It's not enough that false teachers will be sent into the church. Satan will attack some in the church to cause them to start teaching, preaching, and practicing error. Satan literally seeks to destroy the preacher who will preach, thus saith the Lord. Amen. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves. Now this is talking about churches, okay? Shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. We're living in a day... See, I'm not very entertaining, and I know that. We're living in the day of the entertainer preacher. The preacher who can put on a good show, the preacher who can wow people, he's the one that will attract the people. The one who stands up in the pulpit and says, this is what the Word of God says, and we ought to do what the Word of God says. Well, you know, he really doesn't <laughs> do it for me, right? And so Satan attacks the Lord's preachers through discouragement and despair and defeat because I know 2 Timothy chapter 10, some do just quit the ministry. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world and is departed. Someone said the devil has better sense than to attack God's man. huh? But what better way to accomplish his purpose of hindering the word of God and hindering the preacher who is the proclaimer of the word than to attack through discouragement and despair and defeat. He'll either try to attack God's man from answering God's call. I don't hear of a lot of young men surrendering to the ministry these days. It took a while for me to give in and say, okay, Lord, whatever you want me to do. But you just don't hear of a lot of young men saying, God's called me to preach. I don't know why. I could make some suggestions. I'm not going to do that in this message. But there are just not as many young men surrendering to the ministry today. He's keeping men from answering the call of God. Moses didn't want to answer the call of God, did he? I'm always amused at Moses. Because Moses is standing out there before the burning bush and God telling him to go to Pharaoh and Moses, oh, oh Lord, I can't speak. I can't talk, you know. Well, God says, that's okay. I'll give you Aaron. He'll do all the talking for you. You read the book of Exodus. Aaron didn't get a chance to get a word in edgewise. Moses did all the talking. Maybe that's why we preachers talk so much today. Huh? Just like Moses. 
and even preachers have been hindered, God's calling, fewer responding. Some won't surrender to God's will. God says, I want you here. And they're like Jonah. And they say, I'd rather spend a couple of days in a whale's belly than go where you want me to. And he'll attack the preacher's home. I've heard of preachers whose homes have been destroyed by divorce, by disobedient children, by disruption. Aaron can vouch for this. When they were growing up, I didn't just hold the church over them, but I did tell them this. The way you act can disqualify me from being a pastor. And folks, that's true. And then Satan attacks young people. And I really want our youth to get this. Through disobedience, a rebellious attitude towards your parents. Your parents have been farther down the road than you have. They know where all the potholes are. They know where all the steep cliffs are, where all the drop-offs are. They just know because of age and experience a little bit more than you do. Listen to your parents. He'll try to get young people and attack them through drugs. He'll get as many hooked as he can. He'll try to attack young people through what the Bible calls an unequal yoke. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And so many young ladies especially so I'll, I'll marry him and after we're married, I'll lead him to the Lord. Probably not. Amen. Find you a young man that knows Jesus Christ as Savior and is actively serving God. Don't, don't look for the one who's out of fellowship with the Lord and out of church and say, well, well he's saved, I'll marry him. I'll get him in church. You probably, you may not. Look for a good young man who loves the Lord and who can love you with the love of Jesus Christ. Of course, the trend today is not to marry at all, just to live together, you know. The Bible has a word for that. It's called fornication. He will encourage newlyweds to shun activity in one of the Lord's churches. I heard a statistic a few years ago that said, on average, the first 10 years of a newly married couple's lives are lost as far as the service of God is concerned. And that's sad. Just think of what could happen during that time in their service of the Lord. They could encourage other young couples. And one more, Satan's deception is this. Satan wants to give the world another gospel, which the Apostle Paul said in the first chapter of Galatians is not another. There is only one gospel. But Satan wants to give the world a bloodless, graceless, faithless, social gospel. It says, just be good. Everything's going to work out in the end. Paul said in Galatians 1.8, But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And I say to you, if this preacher right here ever stands before you and preaches something other than the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God, you reject him. Amen. Okay? That's only healthy for this church. If the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is not good news, folks, there is no good news in this world. Amen. If, if the resurrection didn't happen, if the gospel isn't true, we're doomed. We're going to die and go to hell if Jesus did not come and give himself on the cross. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 13, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is vain. 
Verse 17, and if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. But thank God for the little word but in verse 20, but now is Christ raised from the dead. Amen. Satan's gospel says, hey, just live for this life. Just get what you can in this life. But the gospel of Jesus Christ says there's a life to come after this life. And if you want that life to be a life lived in the presence of God and of his angels and of the Lord Jesus and your friends and family who have died trusting Christ, you need to know Christ as Savior today. Satan uses many devices to deceive us and get us not to serve God. Let me ask you this morning, are you discouraged? Are you doubting? Don't let Satan use his devices. Oh, I see so many people so often and have in the past that just so discouraged. I mean, you read the headlines, it could worry you to death, right? You know what? Whatever happens, I know where I'm spending the rest of my eternity. And that's in the presence of the Lord. And it gets a whole lot better than this. I even get a glorified body and so do you if you're saved. And that's something to look forward to. Satan discourages lost people from hearing and believing the gospel of Christ. He wants them to believe his false gospel. He wants to tell them there's no hell, there's no heaven, there's no life after this life. You know, this life is over, you're just dead all over, just like Rover, you know. <laughs> there's nothing out there. But we know there is. If you're watching, especially by live stream, I think I'm speaking to primarily saved folks this morning, but lost friend, don't let Satan drag you to hell. Repent toward God and put your faith in Jesus Christ and be saved today. And Satan wants nothing more, folks, than to destroy this church. That's why I ask you regularly to pray that God will protect this church. A New Testament church is the institution charged with bringing glory to God and spreading the Word of God. No, you don't have to be in a New Testament church to be saved. But I think if you want to rightfully serve God today, you need to be a member. Jesus died for this church. We're going to see that tonight as we observe the Lord's Supper. Jesus died for this church. Amen. I don't think He would die for this church if it was a nothing institution. If it didn't matter, if it didn't mean anything. If you're saved, I think you want to be serving the Lord and pleasing to Him. Yes, you and I are being stalked on a daily basis. You say, but there's only one devil and there's a bunch of us. He's got employees. And they're good employees. They're called demons and they do everything. As a preacher, do you believe in demons? I most definitely do. And I believe they will attack God's people in this day and age. Don't let Satan discourage you. Be aware of his tactics. Well, how do I do it? Just follow this plan. Feed on the Word of God and exercise daily in righteousness. That's how you grow as a child of God. Just feed on His Word and exercise yourself daily unto righteousness and grow and develop as a child of God and faithfully serve Him.